Thank you for downloading the sermon from Sunday, April 28, 2019, Questions Jesus Asked. What is it that you want? For more information about Paragon Church, visit paragonchurch.com. We're going to play a little game this morning to get started. Just kind of wake you up to get your brain moving a little bit. And this game today is maybe a game you've played before. It's a simple game called Would You Rather. Would you rather, and as we play would you rather, here's the deal. I'm going to give you two options. You get to choose one. All right? I'm going to give you two options. You get to choose one. I'm just going to simply say would you rather, read it off, and then I'm going to have you raise your hand for which one you would rather do. So here we go. Would you rather be alone for the rest of your life or be stuck listening to annoying people talk for the rest of your life? So quick thing, raise your hand, be alone for the rest of your life. Listen to annoying people for the rest of your life. All right, all right. Here we go. This one here probably is going to be a given since we're in New Mexico. Would you rather be consistently 10 minutes late or consistently 20 minutes early everywhere you went for the rest of your life? 10 minutes late. Okay, you liars. I watched that door as you all poured in at the end of service. I got up here. I'm like, where is everybody? You're like, oh, it's 10 minutes late. Here we go. 20 minutes early, raise your hands. All right, all right, here we go. Would you rather live near the mountains or live near the beach? Mountains, raise your hand. Beach, raise your hand. All right. How about this? Would you never, would you rather never watch TV or movies ever again or never use social media ever again? TV, movies, raise your hand. Social media, raise your hand. All right, good for you, good for you. Would you rather have the superpower of invisibility or the superpower of flight? Superpower of invisibility, raise your hand, creepers. Superpower of flight, raise your hand. All right. How about this? Would you rather live without air conditioning and heating for the rest of your life or live without the internet for the rest of your life? That's right. Which comfort thing are you going to give up? Which one? Everybody's like, oh, that's tough. That's a hard one. All right, TV, internet, or TV, sorry, AC and heating. Raise your hand. I don't know. I don't know about that. Internet, raise your hand. All right. Would you rather have lived 100 years ago or 100 years in the future? Would you rather have lived 100 years ago or 100 years in the future? Past, raise your hand. Future, raise your hand. Very good. As you get older, would you rather have Feet that never stop growing or hands that never stop growing? <laughs> yeah, picture it. I know it's in your mind right now. You're like, would I rather be like this or like this? You know, which, which way is it? So would you rather have feet that never stop growing? Raise your hand. All right. Hands that never stop growing. I can see your hands. It's all good. All right. Last one. This one's a little bit more serious and it has to do with a little bit what we're talking about today. Would you rather be blind or would you rather be deaf? Be blind or deaf? And this is the deeper one, a little bit more in this. Raise your hand if you'd rather be blind. Okay? Raise your hand if you'd rather be deaf. Interesting. That was a tough one. That one I, I asked Jerome this week, and of course him being a musician, he was like, oh, I'd rather be blind. And then he kind of went, well, but I like to be able to see. And, and that's, a, that's one where you're pretty much sure that I don't want to have to choose. But... As we've been doing these would-you-rathers, 
I want to kind of transition to the fact that we've been talking for the last six weeks now on questions that Jesus asked. Now, he never really came out and said, would you rather? But he definitely gave us some decisions to make when he asked questions of us. Will you or will you not? Why do you or why do you not? And as we dive into this, today's question is one of those difficult questions that you really have to kind of stop and think and that it makes you choose. See, last week, if you were with us, it was Easter, and we asked the question, who do you say I am? And that is a simple question with a simple, I believe that you are the Lord and Savior, or I do not. That's really pretty much where your two answers lie. But today's question, while last week was the most important, today's might be the most difficult. And the reason why it's most difficult, because it really penetrates into our soul. It really penetrates deep down into where we are at. And the question we're going to look at today is found in Mark chapter 10. And it's also found in Luke chapter 18, as well as Matthew chapter 20. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 10, where it's actually asked two different times. And the question today is this, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked this question of his disciples. He asked this question of a blind beggar. As a matter of fact, he kind of roundabout asks it to the rich young ruler. He kind of roundabout asks it to Zacchaeus. This is a question that is out there saying, what do you want me to do for you? And the reason why I think this is such a difficult question is when we, we, we will eventually look at it in the context of where it's asked at. But think about this. If Jesus were standing right here, and it was just you and him in this room. How would you answer that question if he said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And I guess we can come up with all sorts of spiritual answers. But maybe I, let me ask you this question. What is it that you have prayed for as of late? Because isn't when we pray, isn't that us asking him to do something for us? What is it that we have prayed for as of late? Is it our home? Is it our health? Is it our family? Is it our finances? What is it that, you, that you've prayed for? Maybe your friends. Maybe you're praying for this church. Maybe you're praying for something better to happen in your life. Maybe for you to become a better person. Maybe for you to become a different person. Maybe for you to become a changed person. What is it that you would want from Jesus if he were to ask you that question? And as we dive into it today, like I said last week, the who do you say I am, simple one or another answer. This week, deep in our hearts, what is it that we actually want? Why do we come to Jesus? Why do we come to church? Why do we do, we do what we do? What is it that, that drives us? What do we want from Jesus? And, you know, while we can come on a Sunday morning and we can get dressed up and we can put on that I've got it all together spiritually kind of attitude, Jesus knows our heart. He knows us deep down. We might be able to lie to everybody else, but we can't lie to him. He knows what we want, which makes it an interesting question when he says, what is it that you want me to do for you? He already knows. Jesus knows. So if Jesus knows, I guess the next question is, is why does he bother asking? Why does he bother asking this question? And here, as I've been going through these questions that Jesus asked and been going through it for six weeks, and we're going to continue on through it through Memorial Day, looking at these questions, he asks the questions not because he needs to know the answer, but because he wants you to think. 
And he wants me to think. And he wants to challenge us to learn. He wants us to learn from him. And I think he truly wants us to change. He wants us to see from a different perspective. And I think that's what this passage does today. So if you do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, please open to Mark chapter 10. If you don't have it, we're going to have it up here on the screen here shortly. But Mark chapter 10, verses 36 through 52. And Jesus asked this question two different times. And as he asked this question two different times, the question is, is really penetrating and kind of eye-opening in more than just the way that he opens the eyes of the blind beggar. So if you're there, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35 through 52, it says this. It says, James and John, the son of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. That's a great start, isn't it? I'm not sure if you've ever read that verse in just context and just kind of read through it, and you're like, oh, we want you to do whatever we tell you. We might laugh at that idea going, who would ever tell Jesus what to do? And then stop and think about our prayers. How do we pray? Jesus, by the way, this is my life. This is the way I want it. And if you can bless me here, 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 and here, this is what I want. So before we laugh at John and James in this, two guys who were two of the closest people to Jesus in his inner circle, he asks, or they say that to him. They say, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. His response, one of our questions. What do you want me to do for you, he asked them. They answered him, allow us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. Now, it may sound like he's, they're making a request here, but they're actually not. They're actually making a command. We want to sit at your right and your left, and we need you to do that for us. We need you to be the one who sets up the earthly kingdom. I get to be the secretary of defense. My brother's going to be secretary of state. That's the way it's going to work. Telling Jesus this. It's amazing how Jesus responds. Because he says to him this in verse 38. You don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. You know, I've always been told that God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, no, and maybe later. Yes, no, and maybe later. I think there's a fourth way, and it's seen right here. You don't know what you're asking. You really don't know what you're asking. You, you have no idea the context of what you're asking it for. And so Jesus continues here with this fourth answer of saying, you don't know what you're asking. He says, are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Basically saying, are you ready to suffer for me? Are you ready to, to go through the trials and the tribulations it's going to be to be a person that is that close to me, to be on my right or to be on my left? And look at their answer in verse 39. We are able. We are able, they told them. And here's what I believe is the biggest problem within American Christianity especially. Within American Christianity, we are able is actually translated to we are powerful. Not based on Jesus, not based on the Holy Spirit, but we are able. We can handle it. God, we're going to need you for that little salvation thing, but the rest of it we've got. We're going to even maybe take care of most of that salvation thing because we're pretty good people. So we are able, we are powerful, we've got this. It reminds me of a, of a story I once heard about Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali had gotten on, on an airplane. And on the airplane, he was asked to buckle his seatbelt, and he refused. 
And when the stewardess came to, to buckle, or, or to, not to buckle his seatbelt, but ask him to buckle his seatbelt, he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. A little bit of an ego problem. I'm sure we knew that about Muhammad Ali already. You know what the stewardess's response was? Superman don't need no plane either. That's right. So here's where we have to come to the realization. We might think very highly of ourselves, but we have to remember we're not that great. And Jesus says, can you do this? And they say, we are able. It's like a story I read not too long ago about a, a pastor from Africa who had come, and he was talking about the Church of America, and he just talks about the fact that, that we do everything on our own. He was relating back to the book of Acts, and they said, the things that happen in the book of Acts could not and would not have happened without the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, in the book of Acts, it was 95% Holy Spirit, 5% man. He said, that's completely changed today. It's 95% man and maybe a little sprinkling of 5% of the Holy Spirit. We are able. We, we have this mindset. So how does Jesus respond to them in that? He says this, Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptized I am, baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not mine to get. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. He says, you know what, guys? You are going to suffer. And we see it later in Scripture. We see the followers of Jesus suffer. He says, but here's the thing you have to understand. You still have some lessons to learn. As a matter of fact, we're going to continue on with that lesson as we continue to read Mark chapter 10. You have some lessons to learn, and you have some things that, that you're going to have your eyes open to here shortly. Check this out in the response, though. Verse 41, when the ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. To be indignant means to be angry or annoyed or feel like that's not fair. You know why they felt angry and annoyed with James and John? I personally think it's because they forgot to ask the question first. We want to sit at the right hand and the left hand, not those two. And, and they were mad about that. And Jesus was like, guys, 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 guys. Guys, listen here. He says this in verse 42. Jesus called them over and said to them, guys, 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 guys. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it's not so among you. On the contrary, on the flip side, change your thinking. Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. You guys are thinking worldly standards. You're not thinking the kingdom of heaven. You know what he taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and then everything else will fall into place. Don't think worldly. Think spiritually. Think it from a different angle. You have to flip that thinking over. See, his goal was to contrast the world's idea of leadership, the world's idea of this is the way it should be, to God's idea of leadership. See, Jesus describes how the world operates in verse 42 and then flipped it in verses 43 and 44. He said, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is how my followers should do it. See, the world demands respect. that They want pride and they want power and they want pressure and they want a leader who's going to almost be oppressive and be a tyrant say here's the way it's going to be but the followers of jesus those of us that are leaders which is all of us because we're all leading people to jesus are supposed to be different we're supposed to exercise humility and grace and service but that's not a typical leader 
That, that's not what the world sees as a leader. See, in the world's economy, the higher up you get, the more you are served. But in God's economy, the higher up you get, the more you serve. The more you are the one that is in the middle of it all. And that's why he says in verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, to pay the price as a substitute. I was willing to step down from heaven, he says. And as I did, I came to fulfill the necessity of a payment for you as slaves. I am redeeming you as a ransom for many. I gave up my life for that. So what is this all about? Well, I mean, this is the key verse in Mark. This is really where the shift takes place. If you read through the book of Mark up to this point, it really is about kind of the miracles of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And then there's this shift that we see Jesus going to the cross. Because what we're talking about right now, all of this that is taking place, is on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's on his way to Jerusalem, uh, my questions, as I did the questions that Jesus asked, kind of fell in the wrong order, because this should have been done on Palm Sunday. That's what we're going for, that triumphal entry. And so as we see this triumphal entry getting ready to take place, he says, guys, I am getting ready to give up my life. Be ready for that. He says, as you've seen this, as a follower of mine, I, I want you to open your eyes and see See, when I was doing those, would you rather be blind or deaf? I almost looked at it this way and said, would you rather be blind and able to see, or would you rather be able to see but still not have true sight? Because that's where the, the disciples were at. They can see, but they're missing it. They're missing what God is doing. They're not able to truly see. I mean, think of all the things they've witnessed. Think of all the things they've heard. Think of all the things that they got to see Jesus doing and see, hear what Jesus was teaching and understand why he came. And yet they're still fighting for worldly steps of who gets to be on the right and who gets to be on the left. And that's why we see this next passage in Mark. See, that first one was scene one. We shift to scene two, starting in verse 46. It says this, they, that's all the guys he was just talking to, came to Jericho, that last way on the stop to Jerusalem for that triumphal entry. We talked about that the Good Samaritan, when we very first started these questions, we talked about how there was that descent from Jerusalem down to Jericho, 17-mile road, where they're getting ready to make that ascent up. And so they're in Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with the disciples and a large crowd. A guy by the name of Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him that question that we've already talked about, what do you want me to do for you and my guess is as the disciples went hey i think he just asked us that question Rabbani, the blind man said to him i want to see jesus said to him go your faith has saved you immediately he could see and began to follow jesus on the road remember when i said at the beginning when jesus asked the questions that jesus knows he does he does know and the question of why is so we can learn, so the disciples can learn, and really, I think he wants Bartimaeus to learn. Because here's a question for you. If you knew somebody was blind, 
and you walked up to them and you said, if I could do anything for you, what would you like me to do for you? What do you think their answer is going to be? I mean, it's pretty plain. It's not like they're going to be like, you know what? I got a sore on the bottom of my foot. If you could just heal that for me. My finger, it hurts a little bit. It's a little arthritic. You know, if you could just heal that for me. That's not going to be their answer. It's going to be, I want to see. I want to see. So as Jesus is doing this, he is teaching them and asking this question to bring about change, both in Bartimaeus' life and in the disciples' life. And you could even include us in that. He wants to see us change. In this second scene here, we see the change of the life for the blind man. But we're also going to see, I believe, the change for the disciples. So let's look at it again and kind of talk about it as we move. It says, there they came to Jericho, verse 46. And as he was leaving Jericho with the disciples in a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. Now, there's a couple things we need to see here, and that's not a pun. Um, the first thing we need to see is this. We need to see the name Bartimaeus. Why is the name Bartimaeus important? Well, the reason why the name Bartimaeus is important here is the fact that in all of Mark, up to this point, everybody that had been healed didn't have a name. Or at least wasn't given a name in Scripture. Now, they had a name given by birth, but they're never recognized. Why is Bartimaeus recognized? I truly believe that Bartimaeus is sitting in that first church that these letters are being written to and saying, hey, guys, don't forget that guy right there. He was the one that once was blind and now can see. Bartimaeus used to be a blind beggar on the side of the road, but now he is no longer. And Mark is pointing out the fact that even in verse 52, that when he gets his sight, it says he immediately goes and follows Jesus. And that following took place well after the cross. Second thing we need to see here is this. What condition he's in? He is a blind beggar. A blind beggar that was sitting on the sidelines. A blind beggar that was an outcast to everybody else. A blind beggar that had been cursed by God according to the theology of the religion of the day. That if you were unable to see, it's because your parents sinned. And we see this in another, another passage of scripture as Jesus talks to the Pharisees. That either the parents sinned or that they've sinned. And that's why they were struck blind. So this man is sitting on the side of the road, and he is the lowest man on the totem pole. Maybe he's not even on the totem pole. Maybe he's just the scummy, mossy stuff that builds up around the bottom of the totem pole. He, he, he's just not that high up. And the thing that we begin to see is that he's not following. He's not a part of the crowd. As a matter of fact, he's just sitting there along the road. This road was a good place to sit because everybody was going to Jerusalem. Beggars. Nowhere to sit. Drive in Albuquerque. I bet if I said, hey, point out some corners where they sit at, you can tell me. You know why I don't like going to Chipotle down there on Alameda? Because I hate getting stuck at that light there right next to Panera Bread where that beggar's always like right here in my face. And I'm like, I don't want to look at you. I, I, if I give you eye contact, therefore you think that I'm going to give. And all of those thoughts are going through your mind. That's the way the beggars were. They knew where to sit. They knew these things. At the same time, people didn't want to give my contact because you don't think of that. But the great thing here we begin to see is as he was blind, he also was able to hear. And he was hearing what people were saying about Jesus. He may not have responded, but he was listening. Do we have any Bartimaeuses in our life? 
that may not be responding, that may not see Jesus yet, but they are listening with their ears and even listening with their eyes to the life that you are living and seeing is what this Jesus is all about. But see, the next thing we see here is verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Last week we said, who do you say I am? He heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. He heard the crowd talking about this Jesus that came from the town of Nazareth. How does he cry out? What words does he use? Does he say, Jesus of Nazareth? No, he says something different. He says, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, the Messiah that is talked about in the Old Testament. See, he had heard what the crowd was saying, but through hearing it and hearing about the healings and hearing about the teachings and hearing about the miracles that were being done, he put two and two together. He may not have been able to see with his eyes like the crowd was able to see with his eyes, but he saw Jesus differently than the rest of them did. And as he did, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's got an exclamation point in there. He is literally on the side of the road, not even sure where he's looking. He doesn't know where he's at. He's just saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what's the crowd do? Shut up, beggar. Quit your yelling over there. Quit making all of that noise. And see, the thing is, is he recognizes what he needs. He doesn't cry out for sight. He cries out for mercy. Why? Because he is a sinner. Why? Because he's wretched and pitiful. Why? Because he's broken. Why? Because in the theology of the day, he is cursed. And all he knows is that he needs mercy because he can't do it on his own. Remember the response of the two brothers? And when Jesus says, will you go and be baptized? Will you drink from the cup that I drink? And they said, I am able. What's his response? I'm not able. I am worthless. I am on the side of this road. I have nothing. I need mercy. See, sometimes we approach Jesus in the way that the brothers do, when really we should probably approach Jesus in the way the beggar does, realizing that we are not worthy. But God sent his son anyway. And as we begin to dive in, we go back to that verse 48 that said, many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. The attitude of the people was, be quiet. You're a nuisance. This is a big teacher. You're not a big deal. Stay away. Sit out there and be quiet. But I believe the Spirit of God was drawing him in. I believe the Spirit of God was working in his life as he is in our lives. And he kept crying out for more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. See, here's what we need to understand. He believes everything he's heard about Jesus, and he's heard enough. Enough so that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He understands his own condition. He understands his wretchedness. He understands he's an outcast, that he's a sinner. Because I'm guaranteeing that because people are people, that every day people are reminding him of his sin and why he's blind. Well, the reason why you're blind is because you don't have enough faith. The reason why you have this is because you sin. Therefore, God punished you over and over and over and over and over again. I don't know how long he's been blind for. Maybe since birth. Can you imagine that? Every day. 
being told how terrible you really are, waking up in darkness every day. I don't know if it would be worse to be blind from birth or blind as you get older because you have seen and now it's been taken away from you. I don't ever want to have to figure that out. But it's an interesting thing to look at. See, he couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't see that Jesus wasn't dressed in royal robes thinking that there was going to be some earthly kingdom. He wasn't carrying a scepter. He wasn't ascending to his throne. But you know what he knew? He knew who Jesus was. James and John had walked with him, had been with him, had done all of the things with him, and yet they still missed by asking the question that they asked, by demanding the question that they, uh, really, the, the statement. They, they didn't get it. And they tell him to shush. They tell this guy to shush. And he doesn't. I, I think that's awesome. It's amazing when the crowd tries to shush you when we're crying out for Jesus. No, 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 you can't. You're not good enough. You're, you're, you're too dirty. You're, you're too left out. God doesn't care about you. Or when God calls us to do something just bigger and the next step in our life to do something maybe just a little bit crazy, they're like, no, you're, you're being crazy. Don't do that. Salvation, that's a big step. To say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. That's a big step to say I want to get baptized and, and profess in front of all my friends and family that Jesus is the Lord of my life. That's a big step to go and to serve and say it's not about me. That's a big step. You know what the crowd's going to say? You're dumb. Don't do that. You're, you're able. You don't need those things. You don't need that religious crutch. It's a constant thing there. But he battles back and says, you know what? I'm going to cry out all the more. I'm going to cry out all the more. You know, it's crazy. I, I was reading a story not too long ago by, by H.G. Wells, and it was a fictional story about a guy who was a mountaineer. And he's, he's climbing over a mountain, and he clears this mountain, and he descends down into this valley to a village of people that have never been met before. And, and he gets there, and as he's there, he realizes everybody in that entire town, this entire village, is blind. And in the process of interacting with them, he's telling them all the things they can see and all the greenery that is around him and all about the stars and all about the, the amazing colors of, of the sunset and to the point where they start to get angry and they call him crazy. And they realize the reason why he's crazy is because he's able to see. So what their response is, we should just cut out his eyes. So the guy escapes, goes back over the mountain, and gets back to the people that he's with and realizes what a difference it is when we're able to see. And we're around other people who are able to see. We live in a world like that. When we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the things that we see, and we talk about the way he's changing us and the way he's working us and the steps I'm going to take, even though you might think I'm crazy, don't try and cut my eyes out. Don't try and take my Jesus from me. And say, just deal with the begging stuff on the world. Just be there looking for a handout from the things of the world. Be there for Jesus. Let Jesus open your eyes. See, everybody thinks Bartimaeus is crazy. But he sees clearly. He knows he needs mercy. And he's going to fight for that mercy however he can. See, his heart saw the light before his eyes ever saw the light. His heart met Jesus before he ever met Jesus. And he knew that the mercy of God was coming to him through this Jesus. We don't know how all he got all of his information, but here's the thing. He believed in his heart. And then verse 49, a shift takes place. The shift says this. Jesus stopped and said, call him. 
So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up. He is calling you. See, Jesus tells everybody to stop shushing him. Shush, shush, shush. Jesus is like, no, don't shush. Call him over here. And I love how the crowd just does a complete 180. What do they do? They say this. They say, have courage. Get up. He's calling you. Come on. And the guy's like, didn't you just shush me? Come on over here. We want to see what's going on. And you know what? Sometimes the crowd can be that same way, and it does take courage. It does take courage to take that next step. It does take courage to say, you know what? I am a wretched person, and I need salvation. I need to be baptized. I need to be serving. I need to be going and making disciples. That crazy talk, Jerome and I joke about that all the time. We're like, yeah, the Bible kind of says this is what we're supposed to be doing. But when you mention it, people are like, oh, well, you know. No, it's pretty much clear. Go and make disciples. Oh, it's crazy talk. No, it's Jesus talk. And when we see clearly, it begins to move us that way. And, you know, as I begin to look at that, we see he gets up, and he gets up off the sidelines because he's calling you. You know what? Jesus is calling each and every single one of us. He's calling us to take a step. And, and I began to look at this passage, and I began to see something that um, I'm not a, an old-style Baptist preacher, in case you're wondering. Um, but but the, the thing that I saw here was is this. I grew up under a pastor that started every point with the same letter. And this passage is completely possible because Mark does it for you. It starts off with a condition. By the way, this is brought to you by the letter C. It's like Sesame Street. Uh, The condition of the man, a blind beggar. The cry from his heart, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd saying, shush. God saying, I'm calling him to come. And the crowd saying, don't shush. Have courage. It's this constant sea that is being poured out there, but we have another sea that's probably the most important sea in all of it. If you look at verse 50, it says he threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. The coat. The coat. Why is this coat such a big deal, and why is it a big deal that he threw it off? Let me tell you something about this coat. This coat, or maybe your version says his cloak. I thought about wearing a cloak up here or a coat, but I knew I'd be sweating to death, so I couldn't have the the illustration without just being completely soaked by the time I got to this point in the message. He threw it off. He threw it off, and it's such a big deal because it was his everything. It was his everything. The first thing we need to know is this coat that he had was given to legit beggars. It wasn't just some guy on the side of the road saying, yeah, I'm begging, uh, but really I'm just kind of hustling you for money so I can go get whatever I want. It was a legit, I am blind, I cannot see, I cannot live unless you give it to me. It was a coat that the government gave. I wish the coats were still given out today by the government because it would make the panhandlers on the side of the street a little bit easier to recognize who was actually in need and who wasn't. The second thing we see here is that when he gets rid of that coat, another C if you want to, there's a cost involved because now he's no longer a beggar. Now he's no longer labeled. He's throwing that off, that thing that the crowd is telling him to shush about, he's throwing that off. He's throwing off that position in life. He gets up off the side of the road and throws off that coat. He is no longer a beggar. He threw off his old life and everything that defined it. I mean, think about the things that he could have. It was his source of income. 
It was his identity. It was his crowd of people. He probably hung out with other blind beggars. Matter of fact, if you look in the book of Matthew, he is hanging out with somebody else who also follows. Now, here's the crazy thing. I was just talking to a person the other day about cochlear implants for those who are deaf and how there's a good portion of the deaf community that doesn't want them. You know why? Because it's going to change their community. It's going to change everything that they've ever known. Now, I've never been in that position, but I enjoy being able to hear. The thing is, you know, it wasn't too, too long ago, Jerome and I went to a movie with, with a couple that was, uh, that was deaf that came to the church, and it was a specifically hearing-impaired movie with the subtitles and stuff like that, and we went with him just to hang out and, and be a part of it, but while we were there, the whole theater was full of people that were deaf. And they all stood around and talked to each other, sign language. You know what? That wasn't my culture. I didn't have a clue what was going on. Stood there and talked to Jerome and said, this is a mission field. This is a group that we cannot reach unless somebody knows sign language and somebody is a part of that culture. But to bring somebody out of that culture and say, hey, come into the hearing community or come into this, that's a huge step. You think that, that Bartimaeus is getting ready to take a huge step for stepping out of being that blind beggar and everything that he has ever known by throwing off that coat? That's a big thing when he does that. And as he does, all the labels are gone. All the things that people have said about him for the last however many years, because people aren't going to know he's blind except the fact that he's wearing that coat. That's his label. They're not going to know that he was cursed except for the fact of that coat. They're not going to know those things and then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? He jumped up. He ran to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus answered, asked a simple question to a person that had probably not been talked to or listened to in many years, if not his entire life. Jesus takes time for the broken down. And he says, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. Open my eyes, God. I don't want to have to beg for scraps from the world anymore. I don't want to have to be on the sideline. I don't want things from the world to find satisfaction. I want to find my satisfaction in you. Open my physical eyes. Open my spiritual eyes. Because I think too often we are blind to what we have. Therefore, we continue to want. And what we want, we always want more. Case in point, James and John. You think they began to learn a lesson? You think they were standing off to the side going, oh, dang, he's teaching us right now. I think so because they ended up giving up their lives for him. They went out and they went and they made disciples. They went and did these things. They've been demanding better seats at the table, but they were not thankful they were even at the table in the first place. We have the grace of God. Help me to see what I have in you. Help me to understand that I am no longer blind. Help me to understand that I am no longer lost. Help me to understand that I am no longer left out on the side, on the side of the road, that I am a follower of yours. Open my eyes, God. Open my eyes. I want to see. And Jesus says to him in verse 52, go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. Here's the result. He was saved and became a follower of Jesus Christ. He was saved and became a follower of Jesus Christ. Your faith has saved you. But what's he say? Go. 
go live out your faith. Respond. Go live out your faith. See, in this passage, I see way too much of us, of, of worried about having that better seat at the table or taking that next step, and, and we miss going and just living out our faith because people are listening. There are Bartimaeuses in our life. Bartimaeus here was not only able to see, but now it was being seen as well as heard. People were watching and listening. That's why he's in this story. That's why his name's in this story. I told you the story wasn't just about Bart, but about the disciples. And now their eyes are open. And it's also about us. It's about us. And I think we fall on either side sometimes of either being John or Jane or being Bart. We can look at the condition. Are we striving for that more? Or are we recognizing we are just a blind beggar? Are we arrogant and able or are we miserable and cursed? Where are you in that? I think when we recognize our blindness, it's easier to tell Jesus, I just want to see. When we don't recognize our blindness, like James and John, we say, God, this is the way it needs to be. I know you have a plan, but my plan is better. That's a tough place to be. Are we crying out for help and letting the crowd shush us? Are we telling Jesus, I just want a place at the table? Because right now my place is the bottom of that totem pole, that scummy, yucky bottom of the totem pole. I just want to be at the table. I just want to be able to see. I think sometimes we try and establish our identity by, by a power struggle to get our way to the top. Or maybe we're just holding on to that coat. See, when he shed that coat, he shed everything. What coat are we holding on to? What is the thing in our life that is keeping us from taking that next step? When he says, just come, have courage, get up, throw off the coat, follow me. I mean, would you rather have your version of a good life? Or would you rather have Jesus' version of a great life? Now, we can answer that because it's obvious. By saying, well, I want the great life. But yet we continue to hold on to the coat to just have a good life. Just have the few things. What do we want from Jesus? What is keeping us from living the life that Jesus wants us to live? What coat do we need to get rid of? What is Jesus calling you to? What has he opened your eyes to even this morning to say, this isn't about you, but it's about how we respond to what Jesus has done. How are we responding to him? Him opening our eyes and him moving in our hearts. Are you going to listen to the crowd and let them shush you? Or are you going to take that step and say, I don't care what anybody else says. I will continue to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this message that you've brought through Mark. The message that we get to hold on to, the message that we get to see, the message that we, that we get to hear. But it's even more than seeing and even more than hearing. It's about having open eyes and open ears. It's about truly taking it in and listening and applying. Because, God, we have to take a step. Each person in this room isn't where you want them to be forever. They're just there for now. You were working in us, continue to move us closer to you and closer to you and closer to you. And the crowd is going to tell us, just be okay where you're at. But that's not what you want. You want us to continue to grow in you. You want us to continue to be changed. That is why you laid it on our hearts at the very beginning of this church to come as we are, but then be changed and then go change the world, just like Bartimaeus. 
He came as he was, a blind beggar, but he was changed into a follower of yours, and he became part of that church that we are a part of even today. God, help us take those steps. Don't let the crowd shush us. But if you're calling us to do something crazy, God, I pray that we step out and do it. Because I'd rather be in your will doing something crazy than outside of your will doing my own thing every day. Call us so that we may come. Call us so that we may shed that coat. Whatever it is that we're holding on to. Whatever identity it is we find in that thing that is of the world, help us to find you instead, God. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump over here. There's four seats underneath that Paragon Church sign that is right next to a cross. Joked about it last week, being at the foot of the cross. Let's just do that. Let's say, Jesus, you're on your way to Jerusalem right here in this picture. You knew what was coming, but yet you still said, come and follow me. Let's take that crazy step and actually follow Jesus. Not worried about just doing the the, the 95% the man can do and the 5% the Holy Spirit can do. Let's flip that. Let's see what God can do in us if we just take that crazy step. Would you join me over there?